This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to a special contribution to Good for Her, a podcast produced by the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad. I'm Tab. And I'm Micah. And we're going to be talking about Anna Lily Armorpour's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. This film came out in 2014. It is directed by Anna Lily Amarpour. It stars Sheila Vand, Arash Morandi, Marshall Manish, and Masuka the Cat. Very important that Masuka gets the credit. <laughs> Absolutely. He's a star. <laughs> the film centers on an unnamed 187-year-old Iranian vampire living in Bad City, a destitute and lawless town. The girl prowls the streets at night, looking for victims who deserve their bloody fate. She encounters Arash, a hardworking young man caring for his heroin-addicted father after dispatching the resident drug dealer, Saeed. The two run into each other again when Arash is high on ecstasy, and they form a bond. After the girl kills Arash's father in the process of protecting Ati, a sex worker from assault, they leave together for an unknown future. So if you've heard other episodes of Good For Her, you will know that this is kind of centered on women triumphing, women avenging others, avenging wrongs against themselves or others. Yeah. And this movie definitely fits in with that. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I could totally see this as um, avenging victims or, or um, getting justice for victims. Totally. And you had seen this a while ago, but this was yeah. your first time revisiting it in a while, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw it once closer to when it came out, and I remember loving it at the time. And it just had been a few years, so I had a fuzzy memory of it. But revisiting it, I realized like it is absolutely one of my favorite horror movies of the last 10, maybe even 20 years. Like, definitely vampire yeah. movies. Like, one of my favorite vampire movies in a long time. Totally. I love this movie. I saw it shortly after it came out. It was one of those movies where I saw the trailer and I had read a few articles about it and I knew I was going to love it. Mm -hmm. And when I finally saw it, I was really delighted to see that it both met and exceeded my expectations. And that doesn't always yeah. happen. Yeah. 
So I love this movie and I was so excited to talk about it with you. We did cover it for Test Pattern, which is the podcast that I co-host with my friend Jacob. Yeah. But we're going to have a very specific conversation about this movie and it's really great to talk about it with another woman. So thank you totally. for agreeing to do this with I, me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm honored to be here. Watching it this time, what stuck out to you overall about the, the movie? First off, it's beautiful. It's absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous. Um, the music is amazing. Like I'm sure all of these things clicked with me the first time I saw it, but these are things just right away. You're like, oh my God, this looks amazing. And this sounds amazing mm-hmm. because I saw it pre coming out as trans or even knowing that I was trans. It's a completely different read of it now. Like I, I relate to elements of it that I maybe didn't the first time or didn't realize that I related to. So this go around, it was empowering. Yeah, totally. I can definitely see that. I feel like when I watch this movie, the girl to me is an aspirational figure because I'm definitely not an intimidating person at all. Yeah. But the idea that she is so intimidating just by staring people down and her presence and everything, mm-hmm. I was like, I want that. I want to be able to yeah. do that. <laughs> that confidence. The confidence is the yes. thing that I that I really gravitated to and the strength of it, just how tough and badass she is and yeah, yeah gorgeous. Definitely amazing taste in music <laughs> like she's right, right yeah she's a rad vampire <laughs> she is she is and i think both of us have talked about like almost writing our own vampire stories and being inspired by oh yeah by this character i made several notes <laughs> during that were like separate from my own thing of just like that's cool i want i want to do something with that no. yeah definitely i think that this world that Amrapur builds is so detailed Mm -hmm. And it's really carefully built. It feels real, but it also feels sort of Lynchian. And she has said that David Lynch is one of her biggest influences. So that makes sense. Yeah. David Lynch, that dude is like, I don't know if you have heroes. He's a fucking, to me, a hero. He's a magnificent and special, violently singular man who is just like a fucking gift. He's just like, I gotta be me, you know? That's it. He's just him and his movies they get under your skin, you know? It's like you get brain laced. It's next level shit. But she also describes it as being a fairy tale as well as a vampire western and mm-hmm. I felt that when I watched it this time it felt like uh, like a fairy tale and sort of out of time. We talked about it feeling almost having a 50s vibe because of some yeah. visuals and outfits and hairstyles and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Some of the music too has moments that are retro sounding. Definitely. Yeah. So I think she nailed the atmosphere she was going for. And then there's so much to appreciate, but appreciate about this movie that, that the viewer takes in. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that it's black and white, I couldn't imagine it in color. Yeah. Some of the shots wouldn't work nearly as well oh, in color. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, anything to do with her and the Chador um, and mm-hmm. and kind of coming out of the darkness, you really need that high contrast black and white. And the black and white t-shirt that like right. kind of it's all you see is just a, a white face and then that. Like, yeah. Right. You need right. the shadow yeah. to really complete that. If you add too much color, it, it's not as striking. Yeah, and I think that it also has to be in Farsi. I don't it wouldn't read mm-hmm. the same way I think if it was in English. And so yeah. every every detail is so carefully chosen, clearly. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to interviews with 
uh, on a Lily Armorpour, you can tell that from the way that she talks about how she approached this movie, yeah. too. I put on this Chador. It was a prop from another film. The moment I put it on, it was like instantly like, oh, clearly this is an Iranian vampire. This is what it would be. It would be this girl and this Chador, and it's a brilliant disguise. Um, and the whole movie kind of grew around her. It sounds like from the moment she put on the Chador, she was just like, it, like it just flashed, the whole thing flashed in front of her. Like she had it right. all worked out. And that's what I really noticed this last time is like, this is her first feature. She had done a couple of shorts, I think, before that and mm-hmm. other work. But she comes out the gate like fully formed. Her style is there. You know, right. like there's a sense of humor to it. There's a sense of style to it. Like it's all fully formed right out the gate. It's referencing other things and the references feel intentional and... Yeah. And... Organic. Genuine. Organic, yeah. It's not like, like, how many horror movies have we seen where they're like, oh, we gotta call Detective Carpenter or something like that where it's like really on the nose. This is like shots that are framed like a Sergio Leone movie and music that sounds like that, but then these David Lynch like noir moments also that you know exactly what she's doing with it. If you're right. a fan of these things. Right, exactly. And I think the idea that it's a vampire western, I'm a huge fan of Near Dark. Mm. And same. this is the only other western vampire movie that I that I think I've seen. Mm-hmm. And it makes me want more vampire westerns. And I remember totally. thinking that the first time I watched it too. Like, why hasn't anyone really done this before yeah um and and there is a comic that i really want to get into called redneck which you ha- you have the i have the first trade, trade. i haven't started yeah. it yet but I, I did buy it because it sounded really awesome yeah so hopefully this has this and other things have sparked the idea of like vampire westerns being a thing because we need more of them <laughs> totally totally and in i love the way that this does it where like near dark kind of does it this way too where it's subtle on the western elements mm-hmm. like there's yeah. little moments that one's maybe even more typical western than this is this is like just the i don't, I don't the the atmosphere of it and the mm-hmm. The tone, I guess, just feels like a Western. Added the music to, and it just has like a, this ghost town, Wild West feel to it. These like outcasts that are in this wasteland that has no law. Yeah, definitely. And I think the use of a lot of wide shots, like that's very common in Westerns. Like John Mm -hmm. Ford kind of uh, pioneered that in Western films and, and was copied many times. And I think this is an homage to like the wide shot Western scene. It helps convey like isolation and kind mm-hmm. of just the 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 size of the environment around you and how like I don't know ominous the environment can be in itself or the and she does that with the with Bad City kind of of just like the bad like Bad City is almost a character in the movie. Totally, yeah, and I think that we're never really told what Bad City is outright, but we can infer from the or where it is there, right. Yeah. Um, we can infer from the people that live there and and the imagery of the body pit and the oil wells that it is sort of an area that has been forgotten or abandoned yeah. by most people. Yeah, and all the um, misfits or sketchy people also, all the way, all, all on the spectrum of not welcome in society are right. there, both good and bad. Right, right, exactly. And that's a big part of the movie, too, is it like, is kind of the morals of the movie of like good and bad, good versus evil. 
Right. And I think she expands a little bit on that in the comic book. There is a, mm-hmm. a graphic novel that's associated with the girl and sort of her almost her immediate backstory prior to when a film starts. And I was lucky enough to get the Kino Lorber Blu-ray that comes with that. But I think it, the comic book itself is available, too. So I would highly yeah. recommend checking that out if you haven't. It enhances the movie. It totally enhances the movie because you get in that you get that she's like 180 something years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and for like 15 years, she was depressed and like tried to almost kill herself, basically, I think. And then ended up very fairly recently in Bad City. That's how I read it, at least, is like. Yeah, like maybe a year out or yeah, something like that. She's fairly new to the area and she's just still still feeling it out. Right. And there's a very I think there's a very important aspect to what we're going to be talking about that's really only in the comic it was parts of it were shot for the film and then it was cut um, Mm -hmm. and that is her saving the character of rockabilly who we'll talk about in a little bit absolutely because we're kind of centering on the idea of avenging others or avenging yourself Mm -hmm. we're going to center on a few scenes within the movie that that really highlight that yeah where those themes come to light Right, exactly. And so, of course, we first have to talk about Saeed, because that's really the first time we see her feed. It's the first time we see her prey on someone, and it's the first time we see her avenging someone else. So. Her vamp out. It's yeah. the first time we see yeah. her vamp out. Exactly. And can you describe Saeed for us a little bit? Oh, God. Saeed. Um, <laughs> Saeed is a gangster. He is a drug dealer pimp, and he... he has a lot of crazy tattoos and a crazy haircut. And uh, he just thinks he is the cat's pajamas. <laughs> he thinks yes, he yeah. is the coolest dude in that city. And we'll talk about maybe in a minute. <laughs> he's kind of a dork. Um, but he's a terrible human being also. <laughs> right. He is like the primary drug dealer, I think, for Bad City. And yeah. we see that he basically got Arash's dad hooked on heroin. And yeah. because... Hussein Harash's dad hasn't been able to pay him. He's t- mm-hmm. now taking Arash's prize car. Yeah. And threatening worse if he doesn't get paid soon. Right. And we also see him deal with Ati, who is a sex worker in the town. Mm-hmm. He's very dismissive of and abusive towards her. Mm-hmm. Condescending, insulting her constantly. Yeah. Right. He talks about her age. She's 30, which is not old, but he's like, you're getting no. old, you know, yeah. steals her money sort of mm-hmm. forces her to give him a blowjob yeah. um, and then throws her out of the car when he sees the girl ominously standing in his rear view mirror. Mm-hmm. And in response to that, the girl then goes to the drugstore and buys makeup and yeah. sort of does this weird, uh, pre-game but awesome ritual. pregame ritual. Yes. Yeah. And she's getting psyched up, getting ready. Uh, she goes home, puts on some music, gets in the mood. Uh, mood for revenge <laughs> and <laughs> puts on her makeup without a mirror which is fucking impressive um, yes. <laughs> it shows that she does that every time I think like every time yeah. she's gonna kind of bait a guy she mm-hmm. just does the same basic makeup and we'll see that it doesn't take a lot <laughs> to get yeah. Saeed interested um, he's he's a pretty easy catch <laughs> yeah I mean she basically just passes him on the street and sort of side eyes him and he is Immediately just gives him those big doe eyes, just bashful look away. <laughs> yeah. And then 
what I love about her is that people sense her before they see her. And so Mm -hmm. he walks away and then he senses that she is there and turns around and she's like stock still in the middle of the sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah, He could tell that just, she hadn't kept walking. Yeah. And he probably felt watched. Like that's, that's a lot of it. That's also whenever he sees her in the car away further down the parking lot, he feels that energy. Totally. And I, I think that, she has a very looming presence in in bad city that that particularly the men seem to to feel and and feel intimidated by but he basically has her go back to his place with him and proceeds to sort of try to impress her in various ways that i it is i know this guy i don't i don't personally know guys like this but i know this type of guy right um He is peacocking. He he just, she kind of floats around in the background, stalking him like a predator basically would. Um, He's oblivious to this. He thinks, again, he's hot shit and proceeds to do a ridiculous amount of cocaine. Um, (laughs) Get up. What is it? He counts his money. He counts (laughs) his money. Like, again, all like flaunting it. Like he's, he's bragging, I guess, about all this stuff. Like, look at all the drugs I got. And like, look at all the money I got. And he gets up and puts on some music and then i think that's the order of things is like then he he like awkwardly dances at her is that where that is, is i think he lifts weights first oh that's right then... that's right the weights oh my god the weights um <laughs> yeah so he does like three bumps of cocaine walks over adjusts the radio and then picks up like some some dumbbells and like does some curls for her like you do on a date <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah <totally>. ladies <laughs> uh, see anything you like like <laughs> Then he, I see it as awkwardly dances up to her right. in the goofiest little right. shimmy possible, all in his attempt to seduce her. Yeah, and you pointed out something that I noticed as well, which is that she sort of rolls her eyes, but very imperceptibly. It's, it's even better than an eye roll. It's like this eye twitch where there's a shot where she's like, before she kind of looks away and walks away, like her her eye just kind of flutters, just like, oh god, this fucking idiot, and then just walks away. <laughs> it's yeah. so great. Sheila Band, who plays the girl, has masterful mm-hmm. control of her face because she has to be very stoic in this movie. And there's yeah. just a few times where a very small facial tick or facial expression mm-hmm. will convey what that character is thinking. It's an amazing performance. She's like a statue, like kind of how vampires are described in like Anne Rice stories or whatever. Like they're, mm-hmm. but there are little moments where like, I don't even know if she so much smiles in the movie, really, but, like, it's little subtle gestures. Right. And I think you were right on when you say that she is stalking him like a predator. Like, Mm -hmm. she's observing him as a predator would observe prey. He does not sense it that way. He's oblivious to it. it. Yeah. He really is, like, portraying himself as, like, the alpha predator or whatever. Yeah, that dance. Like, every time I think of it, it makes me laugh. It's the, and it's timed perfectly with the music. That's something else yes. throughout the movie is the music. The music timing is perfect for the, the things going on in the scene. And just like it goes to that part right whenever he starts doing the little shimmy thing. Right. Makes me laugh every time. Right. It just goes to show like I know this type of guy that like he ignores every rep. This girl hasn't said a fucking word to him. Like nothing. And he's just he oblivious to it and still down he ignores every red flag up to and including when she sprouts fangs 
and just yeah, like, cool, whatever. <laughs> he's almost intrigued by it until she bites down on his finger and completely yeah. bites his finger off. Yeah, that's but... kind of a deal breaker at that point. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, but getting your finger bitten off would be very painful, but he does, like, scream a lot. <laughs> I think that's intentional. I think that's to show that, like, he's this, like, pompous like peacocking alpha type dude but then when threatened he immediately buckles and right. is a cowering little child and she mocks that and kind of like plays with that and plays yeah, with her she, food a little bit she takes his own finger and like caresses his mouth the way he, that he did with her right before she did, yeah. she bit off his finger yeah and what he did with the sex worker in the car yes yes i i i think her because she basically sucks on his finger the way that the sex worker did. Yeah. As a way to show him, like, I'm wa- I was watching you. Yeah, I could and totally see And he still that. doesn't really pick up on that until she bites his finger off. Mm-hmm. And then does it again with the, to him with the finger. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that you pointed out when we were watching it as well is that he approaches her. She has her back to him. He mm-hmm. approaches her and turns her around. And we'll see a similar scene where that doesn't yeah. happen. I think this is a... a- of almost a mirror of a scene later on right right that scene is great the aftermath of when she kills him and she goes through his stuff and just takes all his jewelry and i'm just gonna hang out for a bit and scavenge around right flips through a cd collection she's not really that impressed i think she tosses a couple away yeah Yeah, she kind of there's like a stack and she's just like shit shit Hmm, what's this flips it over and takes a look at it yeah yeah and then that's when she runs into Arash for the first time because he's there to basically give these earrings that he's stolen from the daughter of the people he works for. Yeah, as a payment towards his dad's debt. Right, to try to get his car back. But then once this guy is dead, he's like, all right, I'm taking the, the drugs and the cash and my car and now I'm the drug dealer. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. But he sees her going in and she stops and there's I love that shot of her kind of up the stairs and the cloak like close she closes it like closes Mm -hmm. herself off to him like a defense kind of thing and the way she's eyeing him is like we talked about this but i I think that anna lily uh is influenced by Anne rice vampires who are telepathic and can read thoughts so i always assume the girl could read thoughts or at least intentions kind of like right who they are as a person you can kind of get a good read from them and it confuses her a little bit i think in that moment of like are you going to be cool and it's sort of what women experience encountering a new cis man like you kind of got to feel him out and be like you're gonna be cool are you you know like especially if you're alone at night and mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of other people around like you definitely have to suss somebody out visually yeah. to kind of take that first step to uh are you a threat are you gonna hit right. on me are you like what right you know what are we doing here can i just go by i can go by okay and she just leaves Right, right. And she really does, like, keep her eyes focused on him as she walks around him. Mm-hmm. To, to ma- probably to make sure that he's not going to do anything. Yeah. And maybe also to intimidate him, because she is very good at that. <laughs> yes, yes. Even without trying. <laughs> right, right. I think the next person we need to talk about is the street urchin. This is a little boy mm-hmm. that lives in the town and is kind of... We never get a name, but he's kind of omnipresent through the entire movie. Yeah. We see him multiple times, and he's actually the one that ends up leading Arash to his his dad's body. Mm-hmm. But she encounters him at night, and he has a skateboard, and he's putting candy in his mouth, and then all of a sudden she's there. Mm-hmm. To um, 
kind of make sure that he's going to not be grow up to be um, like other guys in that town. Right. She says, are you a good boy? Tell the truth and, and questions him about it pretty forcefully. And then basically tells him, I, I will always be watching you. And mm-hmm. if you do anything bad, I, you know, I'll I will come tear you. your eyes out and feed them to dogs. It's she, she puts the fear of God into this kid, like, and then vamps out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get to hear sort of what sounds like a monstrous voice underlaid with her own voice. Mm-hmm. جواب بده پسر خوبی یا نه بله دروغ نگو تو پسر خوب هستی بله دفعه دیگه ازت میپرسم راستشو بگو تو پسر خوب هستی میتونم چشماتو از حدق در بیارم بدن سگا بخورن تو رو تا آخر عمرت تماشا میکنم فهمیدی؟ And I remember watching it and thinking, like, she was this ancient being. And relatively, she's pretty young. She's only almost 200 years old. Yeah. But she's just a baby vampire. Yeah. <laughs> that really does make her feel like she's this powerful, supernatural being. Mm-hmm. And, and you can understand why later he's so terrified to tell Arash. You know that kid then, like, if he had other kid friends around he was just like i saw the boogeyman last night <laughs> like right. he told them all about it and then other little boys are going to hear like oh i better be good or else that weird vampire lady on the skateboard is going to get me she jacks the skateboard too which i thought was cool she <laughs> she's a total scavenger like i think that she maybe was she took music from different victims too that's why she immediately went for the scenes yeah. and stuff uh, she just kind of accumulates things over time and <laughs> saw the kid with the skateboard and was like that's a nice skateboard Shame if uh, anything <laughs> were to happen to it. Oh, look, I have it now. Right, exactly, exactly. And I think that what we'll see throughout the film is that she is sort of an avenging angel for femme presenting people. Mm-hmm. And she's almost a boogeyman for the men in the yeah. town. Absolutely. And one of the things I noticed the second time we watched it together was that as she's skating away, there's a close up on her face. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of from a, a lower angle, and she almost looks like a figure from a religious painting with the mm. chador and oh, the yeah. way that the light is coming in on her face and her expression. It's it's very much like paintings you've seen of like the Virgin Mary sort of looking up to the heavens. 
Totally. That's what I thought reading the, the comic, because a lot of the panels in the comic are just like shots in the movie. Every one of them is like a beautiful painting. Um, but mm-hmm. she looks like a saint figure in different yeah. parts of it or like this, like, like you said, religious figure of some sort. Right. Totally. She's death. Like, really, yeah. at the end of the day, she's death. Right. And then we see that with uh, she does feed on a homeless man and and that sort of falls outside the idea that she only kills people that are bad. Yeah. But it, it could be interpreted a lot of different ways. If we think that she is reading people's thoughts, maybe mm-hmm. she saw something that we don't something we're not in privy his past. To. Yeah. Right. But it also could be out of necessity. Yeah. 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 Out of necessity because there's not a lot of people in Bad City. Uh, right. Maybe her moral code kind of slips every once in a while, but it could have also been that person was sickly and was going to die anyways. And so she just put him out of his misery. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's definitely an option as well. There is nothing to kind of give us any info on that. There's no deleted scene really about that mm-hmm. character. It, it really, it probably was just necessity. Probably so. And I think really it's to show us how, how vicious she can be and how... Yeah lethal Mm -hmm. and this moment where she threatens this little boy we really do get to see a change in her that even we didn't see with her attack on saeed and that's Mm -hmm. that she's not human and and that she does have this monstrous quality Mm -hmm. she can be cruel i guess we get a little bit of that with the saeed death but she's kind of torturing a little kid in that way but it's all for a good reason. Like, she's trying to make sure right. he doesn't grow up to be a rapist or something like that. But Right. And with Saeed, I think we we feel it's justified. We feel yes. like that cruelty is justified. And yes, because it it's how a... he uh, victimized countless other women. Right. And with the little boy, I think it's, it's less justified. But at the same time, we can understand it because she's almost trying to prevent him from becoming, becoming. someone like Saeed. Yeah. And I think it's like her performance in this moment is really mesmerizing and it's very scary, but it's also very easy to just go back to being able to relate to her and and rooting Mm -hmm. for her and admiring her, at least in in my experience. You understand the intentions behind it. It doesn't really seem like as cruel of an act as it maybe is, but it's, it's, it's a version of like, you better watch out or uh, the boogeyman's going to get you. Like I'm watching you, you know? Right. It's just like a slightly scarier Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, yes. A, a, a skateboarding vampire Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I wanted to talk about Rockabilly because that's not in the movie. But it, I think if you are including the comic in the lore of the girl, mm-hmm. it is important to, to talk about that. Because yeah. Rockabilly is a gender non-conforming character that we see sort of in the periphery of shots there's a very prominent scene where she dances with this balloon that mm-hmm. feels very david lynchian yeah and part of what got cut out of the the movie with her character is her being beaten up by someone and then sort of saying you feel bad for me but i you know i know exactly what i want you don't yeah. know what you want yeah i know who i am like you're the right. one who should feel bad like that's I, that's in a deleted scene, and there is a moment like that in the comic, because uh, in the comic we actually see the girl attack the guy and, like, get vengeance for this uh, this person. And it shows that she's there to protect all femme-presenting, and she's inclusive of mm-hmm. what can be interpreted as a trans character. 
it's not clear really, you know. Yeah, it's definitely a gender nonconforming character and a character that is femme presenting. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know exactly how they identify, but it is a character that is subject to the same dangers as the cis women in totally. the town as well. Totally. That really meant a lot to me. I, I, it, it's not in the movie proper, but it, the fact that it's included in the comic and it's part of the overall story means a lot to me. And I love that deleted scene uh, with Rockabilly where she's just like, don't feel bad for me. Like, you're the people who don't know who you are. Like, I know who I am. Like, I could right. relate to that so much of, like, climate right now with people's uh, attacks on trans people. It's very, like, you can hate me all you want. I know who I am. And you're the one who has some shit you got to deal with. Like, right. that's your problem. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I, I felt that that was important to talk about for the same reason that, that in the canon of this character, if not directly in the movie, mm-hmm. she is inclusive of all them presenting people yeah. and the things that they face at the hands of violence perpetrated by cis men. She sees us as equals, mm-hmm. both in good and the bad ways, the, the ways that, you know, we are victims. Right, right, exactly. And there is sort of a unspoken kinship between those two characters. We see them sort of glance at each other mm-hmm. at different times within the movie. Also, Rockabilly is at a party that Arash shows up mm-hmm. to and is interacting with the cis women at the the party as girlfriends would interact. Yeah. And that's yeah. really cool to see. That well. shows that Bad City is is inclusive <laughs> in its own way. Um, yeah. it's, it's sort of like this, in the good way, it's like an island of misfit toys kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's also creeps there, but it's also where the good people who are just marginalized for whatever reason go because they have nowhere else to go. It's sort of, um, it seems like there would be a found family family element to the good people that are there. Totally, totally. And I think we get that at the end. That's kind of how Arash and the girl end up together. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I think most people interpret it as a romantic relationship. Yeah, it's vague enough. It can be whatever you see it to be. It mm-hmm. could be a a close friendship. It's a connection. It's a human, right. a powerful human connection. However you particularly see it, it's valid because it's it's... It's just emotion. Right, exactly. And and we'll talk a little bit about that as our sort of last scene, because one of the things that you had brought up is that you did want to talk about that her scene with Arash in her room sort mm-hmm. of... Juxtapose with Saeed. Right, exactly. Yeah. What we're going to talk about at this point is her interaction with Ati and then the scene in which she saves Ati from sort of... Being a assault, I mean, I would consider it an assault that he's giving her drugs against her will. Yeah, even if it's not like a, it doesn't seem so much like it's a sexual attack. He's forcing her to take heroin with him so he doesn't have to do it alone. And then he just like yeah. lays next to her. It's an assault. Like he's, he's drugging her. Um, right. And the girl is on the street below and just can pick up those vibes like she knows what's going on and she flies through the window like fucking Batman uh, mm-hmm. to save the day. Yeah. And prior to that, she had sort of had a conversation with Ati. She's following her and I think following her to keep her safe. That was my interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. She also had the. Uh, valuables. Oh, that's right. She had the, the jewelry and stuff. Um, yeah, she, she stole some valuables from Saeed and she was going to give them back to her. 
it's it's very distinctive jewelry. Um, so she, I think she was giving it to her both to say like, you could sell this and get money from it, but yeah. also to say like, you don't have to worry about him anymore because you know, if I have this, he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. She, it's, it's items that she would recognize. Maybe they're her items or they're whatever they are, but she would know that right. they were his or it was like a watch. And it's like, you know, she took his watch at one point. So. And that stupid tiger necklace that he was wearing. Yeah. Yeah. It's also tacky. <laughs> oh yeah well his whole his whole apartment is like the tackiest thing like fake fur and pot leaf tapestry yeah and like the (laughs) the airbrush tiger blanket on the on the couch and stuff and it's just yeah if i walked in there i would immediately just be like i know exactly who lives here and i don't know why i'm here (laughs) i need to get out of here totally but when she talks with ati and and we pointed out like she Ati and Arash are the only people she removes her chador for, so she feels comfortable with Ati. Yeah. And she basically tells Ati, like, you don't want to do this, you're sad, you don't know what you want. And and almost she's talking about herself at that point where she says, You don't you don't remember wanting and, and you're just sort of existing. Yeah. And that's something else where the comic kind of fleshes that out a little bit of like you get to understand why she has this sense of ennui or like how long she's had it for of like there was 15 years in the desert where she was going to kill herself every time the sun rises and in the last minute panicked and would dig a hole and bury herself she did that for 15 years and then yeah decided to go to bad city uh because she felt like she was bad herself and needed to go where the bad people were right right i i love that comic i wish that in a way, I wish it had continued and, and so we could continue seeing her story. But at the yeah. same time, I think that the ending is very intentional totally. as far as you don't know what happens. It's open to interpretation. Yeah, definitely. And once she kills Hussein, she and Ati drag his body to the pit. just outside. Well, they drag it out just oh, outside that right, building because yeah. they're seen by the little boy and then mm-hmm. the little boy brings Arash. And that's sort of the signal to Arash that it's time to leave. And Mm -hmm. he grabs the cat, he grabs her, and he's like, let's go. And when he sees the cat at her apartment, because he's basically thrown his dad out and said, take Mm -hmm. the cat with you. Ati ends up with the cat. Yeah, when she kills Hussein and and she's sort of wrapping things up with Ati, Ati says, you need to leave and that thing needs to go with you. Mm -hmm. And so she ends up with the cat at her apartment. Arash sees the cat and is like, okay, well. There's no reason she would have this cat unless something, she was involved in some way. Right. And there's a moment where he pulls over and he's like, I don't know. Basically, all of this is said without dialogue. Mm -hmm. You interpret it through the performance, which is excellent. Yeah. But he doesn't know what to do. And then he decides to get back in the car and they look at each other and drive off. uh, Drive off with the cat. (laughs) What's over that hill? I love how Anna Lily talks about it of like, what's over that hill? The sun rises over that hill. Uh, But it's one of those things of just like, I think she describes it as that's how love kind of is, is like, you don't know if this is like going over this hill is going to be the best thing ever or the worst possible thing you've ever experienced. But it's worth it because of that human connection. When they meet, it's so fucking strong that's the easy part yeah but that's so it's, it's like, like doing a drug and then yeah it doesn't have it's the same so, effect yeah. after the first yeah. time and so do you even care what happens after they drive away there's a good song playing fuck it i have an idea but you know like 
whatever, whether it's the sun or a metaphoric sun, something's coming. That's the way life is. I mean, I don't really think the point of, I've been in love and I followed it down, down for a long way down wherever the path it was it was leading. And that's the point, is that if you feel it and undeniably feel it, that's the shit. And yeah. you're just going to like let it be the thing that makes you go. Yeah. So it's like, where are you going? Probably, no. It doesn't even really matter. I don't really know. Love is just like the biological nature gas that makes it so people can keep making people. But, and even when you're, when you're in love. <laughs> well, then you're, you're not a romantic. <laughs> that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. That's oh, the wow. Thing. That's, that's even more thing. interesting. So you're like... Um, you're a you're a, you're like a chemical it. romantic. I don't know you what like, it is. Yeah, it, it it's the feeling. Yeah, you like the feeling. I do. Yeah, don't you? I love it. <laughs> Who doesn't? It's you pretty do good. Too. What else is there yeah. outside? It's, yeah. What else is there well, besides the feeling? Look, I to me that's the heart of the film that that you captured is like the chemical feeling of love. The whole movie is really like about loneliness, and it's about finding connection. However, and that's why I think it's so vague as far as what their relationship even is. It, it, it's not about, it's not about labels. It's about the connection. Right. Right. And that sort of brings us to how Arash is different from a lot of these other people in the town, specifically mm -hmm. the cis men in the town. Yeah. Because we see repeatedly that Arash is different from, from the men that he sees in his life. His dad Saeed yeah. he is the one that says it's inappropriate for us to be in the room together when he's talking to the daughter of his employer, his employer. yeah and granted he's trying to get her out of the room so he can steal the earrings but I think that is his real like morals on that issue of like it's gonna look bad if we're in here alone together you know right and on some level I think he's protecting himself and rightfully so because yeah. if if something were to be misconstrued mm -hmm. he would be at fault yeah. Or he would be viewed at, at fault. But one of the things that you pointed out is that, like, that sort of flips the, the gender roles because she's mm -hmm. not uh, worried about that. In fact, no, she kind of makes... She's pursuing him. I didn't get the sense that she was pursuing him. I thought I got the sense that she liked the attention from him. Yeah, she was flirting with him, at least. Right. And then whenever and... he does that, she's just like, oh, aren't you so gallant? So, like, just kind right. of, like... Rolls her eyes at it or whatever. Right. Sort of making fun of him. Mm -hmm. And she does. I guess you're you're right. She does sort of flirt with him, but without the intention of having any sort of romantic interaction with him. No, no. She I, does that I, at the party, too. Yeah. Yeah. Give, gives him drugs and then just kind of leaves him to wander the streets, um, stare at street lamps. But yeah, that's one instance of just how he's just like this innocent in this mm -hmm. horrible world. And it's. Surprising to see a man be that innocent, I guess, to the girl for sure. Of like, she hasn't really encountered many men like him, I think. And he's pure in the in the sense of the movie, of the world of the movie. Right. He's like a he has good intentions. The scene where she encounters him on the street, staring at the street lamp, is another example of that. He leaves that party high on ecstasy uh, and just starts wandering the streets of Bad City, and then ca this street light catches his eye, which. I've done psychedelics. Sometimes you just got to stare at a light. <laughs> Sometimes it's a thing to do. And so he's doing that and she skates by and just stops of just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> yeah. And she is 
seemingly feeling him out, but doesn't seem to be able to read him the same way that she is able to read other people, probably because he's on drugs. Yeah. And there are so many great moments in these two scenes, the scene at the streetlight and the scene back at her apartment. Yeah. Him saying, I'm Dracula. And then I'm like Dracula. Sort of giving her the, it gives the, the big face. Eyes. <laughs> I want so bad. I still, every time I see it, I want to, like, I'm Dracula. Bleh. <laughs> And then him saying that she's cold and like giving her this like really clumsy hug that she's intoxicated hug. <laughs> yeah, she's shocked by, but also seems to seems to get some comfort out of. Yeah, yeah, and that's when she invites him back to the house. Yeah, I think that moment where he says, "Let's sit." I think that it sort of break, <laughs> breaks the any feeling that she would be threatened by him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, we can't sit here, you know, come sit at my apartment. And she even says that, like, I think that's just her, her energy in general, like who she is as a, as a character is, it's very ominous too. Just like, mm-hmm. we can't sit yeah. here, come back to my place. We can sit there. It's just, it's still very, could she kill him? Kind of. I, I think that's what we're supposed to think yeah. that like she's going to prey on him. And then she has to wheel him back because he can't, he can't stand up. Yeah, yeah he, he can't get back up. So she sits him on the skateboard and she pushes him the whole way home. It's the, it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. It really is. And then the scene in her room is equally cute because mm-hmm. he is so sweet. out of it. <laughs> yeah, that is, I think of the Saeed scene as like this um, seduction dance. And that one is kind of a dance of trust. He's oblivious to it, I think. It's it's more so like her kind of testing his trust in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment where she is standing at the record player with her back to him that mm-hmm. is almost identical to the scene with Said. This is a very famous moment in the movie where it's just like completely slowed down mm-hmm. and almost all about the music and, and yeah. this tension between the two of them. The music kind of tells the story, but also the 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 tension between them is palpable. It comes off the screen. Like, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. However you see that energy, if it's a, a just a, it's a positive connection. But it's it mirrors the Saeed scene where he approaches her from behind and, and he puts his hand on her shoulder and, like, turns her around. Uh, Arash doesn't. He just stands there and she turns around for him. And then he, like... Expo- basically exposes his throat to her and so she can listen to his heart and so that's kind of his like trust fall in a way of just mm-hmm. like you know I'm gonna kind of do whatever do whatever you want and she just listens to his heart and then embraces him and hugs him again because mm-hmm. she liked that hug she liked that feeling yeah and this scene for me this meant a lot to me because as like mm-hmm. an asexual person yeah. people will talk about oh, that seems really sexy in a movie, like in, mm-hmm. in other movies. Yeah. And I'll watch it and I don't feel that. But I, f- I felt, I think, as close to I will as I will ever be able to, to understand. You were able to tap into that, that tension, that kind yeah, of yeah. The energy between them. That is a testament to how great the scene is um, because it's vague enough that anybody can read into it what they want and get what they want out of it. But yeah, that that it would, it's the same kind of tension that would be in a in a good sex scene in a movie or or um, right. a will they won't they kind of scene. But it's done in a way where it read the way that you would connect to it. It related to you because right. it was it was vague enough. It wasn't obvious what was going on. 
And it's a scene with no dialogue. It's a scene mm-hmm. that is one of the mo- most emotionally charged scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. I think the music really helps that. The music, the stillness of the girl, and then the slowness in which he approaches her. Mm-hmm. And just everything about it. The I think the disco ball is like a brilliant way of showing... Like the movie hasn't stopped; it's still going. This, we're just it creates our movement. Time. Yeah, it creates movement in this stillness. Um, right. It's also a really funny moment when he stands up and just kind of like awkwardly like <laughs> smacks the disco ball to spin it because that's exactly what I would do if I was <laughs> intoxicated or tripping in a place and I found a disco ball. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna spin that. Yeah, it's all and about the lights. Yeah, yeah, and it just. I don't know. I felt it. I felt it in a way that I, I don't always feel like a romantic or a sexual connection in, totally. in a film. Totally. And I think that's that's a definite testament to the skill involved, the, the, the talent involved. Mm-hmm. All around. Performances, writing, all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just... That is a scene I could watch over and over and over again and not get tired of it and still feel as impacted as the first episode. Totally. have any final thoughts about the film um final thoughts i i think not a lot of people know about it it seems maybe or maybe it's the kind of hype around it has faded in recent years um if you haven't seen it definitely check it out if you haven't seen it in a while revisit it because movies benefit from that you get new experiences applied to it i just think it is an amazing movie in general but an amazing vampire movie and vampires are one of my favorite monsters like horror creatures um, it's nice to see them done well after seeing them done poorly a lot. Right. I think that for me, this would be at the top of my list if I was recommending horror to other women and other femme presenting people. Totally. I think that it is one of the best representations of female created horror that I can think of. Mm-hmm. And it just appeals to everyone i would imagine but as women i think we connect to it so much more yeah we we get a certain catharsis out of it of like we don't really get to see justice a lot in this world Mm -hmm. and it's kind of nice to see justice on screen and it i mean she's a she's a superhero like she's she's a superhero for us and one of the things that the the star sheila vand said that she's like Sometimes I embody her. I think about her when I feel scared and it makes me feel more confident. If she's alone on a dark street, she channels her. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that I have thought about too. And I think that's a Mm -hmm. very relatable 
feeling for for women who see this movie that like I want to be that I want to have those qualities when I'm scared I want to I want to be able to do that yeah it's inspirational yeah totally and I want to be able to fight back right if if I need to and she really is like you said a superhero for Mm -hmm. women and and we don't always get that in horror movies um as as uh women we don't get that viewers. in superhero movies <laughs> most true of time. true it's, yeah it's rare all around right so this is a very important film it's a very important feminist film it's a very important female creator film inclusive and film yes definitely and yeah. if you can get the kino lorber edition with the comic book i would highly highly recommend it totally did they print that separately or is that only included with that I feel like set. they did print it separately, but I don't okay. know how widely it was printed. So it may be hard to find. I'm not sure, but it's recommended all all around. And totally. should, if you're a female horror fan or a femme presenting horror fan, this needs to be in your collection. Absolutely. Must see. Yes. I just want to say thank you so much to the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad for hosting this podcast and giving us this opportunity to talk about such a fantastic film. Absolutely. I want to say thank you also to Anatomy of a Scream for giving us this chance. I feel really honored being a trans woman and feeling included in like the horror community has been really amazing in that way of like it is a super welcoming community and um, a really safe community. And so I just I appreciate being included in this. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the macabre mouse, uh, each word capitalized. I'm also on Instagram at miss ms miss valentine 138. Also with pride month coming up, uh, we, I'm not sure when this is going to post. We could be in the middle of pride month. Um, I want to highlight a charity organization in my home state of Oklahoma called freedom, Oklahoma. It is a LGBTQ, uh, resource charity. They're one of the only ones in Oklahoma taking care of it. Oklahomans just check them out if you can give please do because um a lot of people need it there it's not it's not that great right now totally and we're going to be doing some donating uh opportunities through test pattern so yeah even if you're not really interested in the podcast but you want to find a way to donate check us out there totally as far as me you can find me at at horror flick tab on twitter and if you're interested you can listen to more of me talking about horror movies on test pattern the podcast that i co-host with my friend jacob but we also want to encourage you to follow anatomy of a scream at aoas underscore xx and check out their website anatomy of and be sure to check out the rest of the good for her episodes for more compelling conversations about women who emerge triumphant or avenge wrongs done to them Thanks for joining me, Micah. This was really fun. I'm so glad I got to talk to you about this. Same, same. Love talking about a movie. A great movie. Yes. And thank you to everyone listening. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. 
Pod Squad.